Hello and welcome to Detroit from Across the Pond with Andrew Lewis-Smith. This is a podcast which looks at Detroit, its people and initiatives and projects which are making a difference to the city and its communities. Every week I'll be asking a new interviewee about Detroit, the projects that they are involved in and what it is that they love about Detroit and the people who live there. I'm your host, Andrew Lewis-Smith. Okay, and uh, welcome to today's show on Detroit from Across the Pond. And I'm really, really pleased to have today's guest, who is um, Sue Hudner. I'm hoping we're going to have a good dive. I was going to say dig into, but too much of a pun, I think, in terms of learning about soil, Detroit, environmental systems, forestry, all sorts of things like that, bees, different areas of things that are part of, um, essential part of the city. And and lots of research now is saying that green spaces are really important for people's well-being rather than just constant concrete blocks and concrete pavements and those sorts of things. So today's guest is Sue Hudner. Now, Sue um, had a long career in the automotive industry, which she can say a little bit more about, uh, but then decided that um, for like lots of us, there was a time for a transition and move into something I think she described as something along the lines of her passion project. So she's now a, a beekeeper. She works for the Greening of Detroit, which I think Sue will be able to tell us more about, which is an organization which is basically trying to uh, ensure that um, the many green spaces in Detroit are um, used fruitfully in different ways, whether that's be for forestry, urban farms, uh, play parks for families, kids, that sort of thing. She also is a master gardener. And um, on the show notes on this, there will be a link to a video uh, which does have the garden, which is, and she can say more about that. And it's, it's this amazing garden right in the heart of Detroit with these, you know, big blocks, skyscrapers all around it. And it looks fantastic. It looks absolutely amazing. Beautiful sunflowers and things. So, so Sue, welcome to the podcast. Well, thank you. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. If you were giving a bit of a, a view of what Detroit is like, something I don't know if ecologically, environmentally, in terms of green issues, how would you describe it? Because it's quite a, it's an amazing city in many regards, isn't it? Uh, it is. And uh, as I was telling you earlier, I've lived in the Detroit area my entire life. I lived in the suburbs, uh, but I have been living in downtown Detroit for the past seven years with my husband. And it's interesting that you say cyclists because uh, we're also bikers. And we've really ridden our bikes probably every single neighborhood in Detroit. And it's pretty large. And you get a really great view of the city by riding your bike around. So I would, you know, I would just really say to anybody who's coming to visit, rent a bike and and get out there and ride around and see what's out there. Because downtown Detroit is is not the only thing here to see. From an ecological standpoint, I think Detroit is probably different from most large cities because we are so large. I think people have said you can put the city of New York, the city of San Francisco, and the city of Boston and put it all in the size of Detroit. That's Mm. how large we are. We're 140 square miles, which is incredibly large because our downtown is only seven square miles. So where, what's going on (laughs) rest of this vast city? And, you know, because the city has gone down over the past 50 years, which I've been there for all 50 of those years watching it kind of decline, there's a lot of vacant land. And it's almost like, and I, I don't know if you or your listeners can relate 
But where we live in Michigan, we have what we call up north. And that's where we go to maybe vacation or commune with nature. It's where there's just vast forests and meadows and fields and pasture lands and stuff like that. But you can ride your bike in Detroit and in some neighborhoods, it's so vastly open. It you feel like you're up north. You see these old homes that were built in, not from a UK standpoint old, but old in the US standpoint. Mm. If they were built in the 1910s or the 1920s, old wood, you know, homes that have been just kind of fading away into the landscape. They're old. They haven't been painted in, you know, 30 years. So they're they're just looking like you're in an old landscape out in some pasture land. It's really quite interesting. So in that in that sense, and would you say um, that's quite fairly distinct through many US cities? I don't think it's distinct for a city. I think it's distinct for being out in the country in America. You know, you would find that out in the country in America all day long. But to be in the middle of a city with 600,000 people where you could you could be on a street with one home and the rest of it's just vacant land. <laughs> so, which does does sound remarkable and that would not happen here in the UK. No. Could you say Sue, could you say something a little bit about so what you do, the organization you work for, and the sort of transition you made as well, because it sounds like you had a, 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 a established career, and then you're one of those people who's actually made quite a change, really. Well, yeah, I have always been interested in gardening and horticulture mm. since I was a little kid. So I've always had my own little garden everywhere I've lived. I've always been planting flowers. And in 2011, I... Uh, took the Master Gardener course through the Michigan State Extension, and it was something I always had wanted to do. I started keeping bees that year as well. And I had been working in the automotive industry for the past 20 years and actually hating it. I traveled a lot. I worked for an international company and I traveled all over the world, which sounds really exciting. But, um, you know, after many years of being on a plane, it's just not that fun fun. <laughs> and I happened to be in China. I could just see that I just, my heart wasn't in it anymore. And I called my boss and I just quit like that. I just quit. Oh, really? Okay. I just quit. And I came back home and um, my husband and I went on a, a three week road trip. We drove out to California and flew home and had a great time. And I just took a couple months off to, to kind of hang out and figure out what I wanted to do. And my neighbor was the marketing director for the Greening of Detroit, which is a nonprofit that's been here in the city for 30 years. And uh, the Greening of Detroit, mainly, they started out by planting trees. In the Midwest area back in the 60s, the, the areas were decimated by the Dutch elm disease. Yeah, we had that here in the UK as well. Yeah, so they just took down so many of that a beautiful, graceful elm. Um, Detroit was really quite populated with neighborhoods full of homes and trees, and it was quite beautiful in the 50s and 60s. And so that really decimated the tree population. And what they did was they planted and replanted with a lot of ash trees, which then in the 90s, the emerald ash borer came in. 
or maybe the, the late 80s, the emerald ash borer came in and, and we had just dead trees again. And so a woman by the name of Elizabeth Gordon Sachs, her and her girlfriends started just planting trees in the city of Detroit. And that's how it started. And here we are 30 years later, we've planted over 130,000 trees along like the berms along the street in the neighborhoods. And this year we're planting a lot in the parks. So we do a lot of tree planting. We also have a workforce development area where we bring in cohorts of adults who have barriers to employment and we teach them landscaping skills. So they learn about um, small engines, lawn mowing, how to run the big tractors, chainsaws, how to cut down trees and things like that, the snow removal. And then we have wraparound services to help them like get their driver's license back, get resumes together, you know, find them a place to live because they mostly are returning citizens or people with barriers to employment. So, and then they get, they go through this eight week course and they receive a stipend at the end if they graduate. And we have a really great graduation rate, great people, and we help them find jobs. So that's also a good part of the greening. And then we have our Green Corps group, which are high schoolers that we employ for six weeks during the summer, and they help us water the trees that we've planted during the spring. So I was just thinking that in terms of helping people who've got maybe you know mental health difficulties, those sorts of things. So not only are you doing a lot of work around um, you know the greening of Detroit and the and, and expanding the soft flora and fauna within the city, but also you're really helping people who are quite marginalized. Oh home, absolutely. Is, I just think it's I just think it's fantastic. I mean you're getting you know two birds with one stone. It's really yeah I, I really believe that we have to provide for people that have been struck down by so many of the forces that have held Detroit down. And, you know, those are varied and wide. We also believe that we, you know, we want to help them in green jobs. There's there's also, you know, there's other nonprofits out there that help you with like construction skills and, Mm. and things like that. So I think there's a lot of help in the city of Detroit to get Detroiters working. Yeah, I mean, I think that's one of the things that comes across is not to say that it's unique to Detroit or to America, but I think that certainly in terms of the things that I've been following online on social media, but also talking to people, there's a real pride in the city but also in terms of wanting to help those people who, for whatever reason, are struggling and disadvantaged. And that's, I mean, the compassion there, I think, is wonderful. It's great. And, you know, in a, in a sense, you know, it goes contrary to what a lot of we see in the world at the moment. I think it's really nice. It's very, and one of the reasons why I wanted to talk to people who are different, in different organizations in Detroit, because it's very inspiring. It, it is. And I think when you look at it as a whole or read newspapers, you know, you can form opinions. But when you talk to people one-on-one, that's the best way to really find out and and hear people's stories and learn that, you know, most people in the world just want to do good. They just, you know, they want to be loved, mm. they want to have, you know, work, and they want to have some dignity. And we also know, I mean, as well, for um, we know that, I don't know what your experience is, but, you know, in terms of being outside, having companionship, learning a skill, doing something when you get a sense of achievement, but also, you know, getting stuck in with soil microbes and things like that. We know that that's really good for um, our own physical and emotional health. And that's that's what we do at the garden. Um, So Lafayette Greens is the garden that I run for the greening of Detroit. And just to give you a little bit of background, there was a, um, a very large building on this space. 
Uh, it was called the Lafayette Building, and it was historic. It was built in uh, the 1920s, um, but it was just not to be rehabbed. They they tried to uh, a couple different times to rehab the building, and it just didn't happen. So the city of Detroit tore it down in 2000, 2010. 2011. And they gave this space uh, over to a company called CompuWare who built the garden. Now, CompuWare was a software company in the city of Detroit run by Peter Carmanos, who was kind of charismatic and stuff like that. But they, instead of building another flat surface parking lot, they decided, hey, we're going to build a garden. You know, there's not a whole lot going on downtown anyway. (laughs) <laughs> so they built this garden and they hired um, an architect firm called Kenneth Weichel and Associates, who did just a fabulous job. It's won numerous awards for its design. And so now uh, CompuWare left the city in 2013. They, they moved from the city of Detroit. And so they donated all the assets to the greening of Detroit and we took it over. And it's just been an incredible space And we're so lucky to have it because now that the downtown area is booming, I think if they had taken down a building today, that building, that property would have been sold for millions of dollars and redeveloped into something else. So we're we're also sitting right across the street from the Westin Hotel, which is in a very beautiful, beautiful old building. And it's one of the fancier hotels in town, right? So we get a lot of visitors especially from out of town and they come across the street maybe to have their coffee or whatever in the, in the morning or the afternoon. And they're just amazed that we have something this beautiful right in the middle of the city. I mean, it's right smack dab in the middle of the city on Michigan Avenue. And it's, it's three quarters of an acre of beautiful green, lush flowers, herbs, vegetables. Um, We've got art in there, little patio space um, with tables and chairs and umbrellas where you can hang out. And we do a lot of health and wellness programming there. So like, that's what I'm working on now. And in our off season right now, we're developing, you know, what we're going to be doing at the garden this spring and summer. So we have classes like yoga every Monday. Doing yoga outdoors is incredible. And in the city of Detroit during the summer, you can probably go to yoga class every single day of the week outdoors for free. Really? Somewhere. That's amazing. Why do so many yoga teachers do it completely for free? Um, because, well, as you know, if you're a yogi, you want you have to give back. You have to give back. To, yeah, this is You true. have to give back to the community. So, you know, we, we give her a little something. And, you know, if people want to donate to her, because she's donating her time. Her name is Alice, and mm. she's a great teacher. And we get about, you know, 20, 25 people out on the lawn every Monday at 6 p.m. And it's just a beautiful thing to to be with your neighbors and to be outdoors and to, you know, breathe in and out and just take some time, set an intention. It's great. So that's, you know, that's just one of the things that we do. We have classes on pollinators and native bees or how to how to dye fabrics using flowers from the garden, how to make herbal teas, how to do essential oils. Wow, sounds amazing. Yeah, one of the things that I want to do every day at noon is do meditation. So if you want to okay. come down yeah. and hang out and meditate with me at noon on the lawn, you know, you can do that. 
Uh, it's just a beautiful space. I've really transitioned the garden into more of a pollinator space over the past two years. So we're planting a lot more flowers. Uh, we were focused a little more on food over the past few years because we had a farm. And so together with the farm, we, you know, we grew a lot of food that we were giving to mm-hmm. food pantries. We still do give away most of our food that we grow there to volunteers or you know, whoever happens to be passing by, mm. I might, you know, harvest a bed of carrots and I uh, just give them out to whoever's walking by. <laughs> Ambush yeah. people. Thrust, thrust carrots into that. Yeah, great. Do you keep bees there? Because I know you do, you're a yeah, bee. I am a beekeeper, um, but we're only on three quarters of an acre. And I don't think it just, there's not a great space to have a, a hive there. It, I'd always want to have two hives, number one. And just because the flight path would be where people are all the time. And so, no, we don't keep bees there, but there are so many native bees. And um, as you know, um, my friend Brian Peterson Roast, who's with Bees in the D's, he has quite a few hives up on the rooftops of other buildings that are surrounding Mm -hmm. our garden. So since he's done that, I think two, maybe three years ago, our population of honeybees at the garden has really exploded as well. So almost like the combination of um, more bees available, but also that you then change the sort of style of planting so that you've got pollinators, which is going to attract them in. So uh, a really good um, mutual um Well, and it's also, system. to me, it's also really, I think it's really helpful and um peaceful to watch the bees. So we do bring in, um, there's a couple of scientists, beekeeper scientists from U of M and MSU, the local universities here that come and do classes on native bees. And there's over 400 native bees to Michigan. I think there's over 4,000 native bees in the U.S. or North America. We have a lot of native bees just here in Michigan. So if you just sit and watch sometimes you'll be amazed at all the different you know bees that you'll see yeah i've pollinators in the garden here and uh, i love going in the summer trying to work out all the different bees and in fact at the back of the garden last summer in one of the compost bins a, um, a little a group a swarm of bees set up in the compost bin, oh really uh, not honeybees yeah and i i looked it up i can't remember what type of bee and it said there's usually about 100 150 bees in there and i remember sit, seeing the entrance and going to sit right near it i thought i wonder what happens if i sit right near the entrance and i meditated funny i do a lot of meditation and they would get when i first one there they got really agitated that you could tell they didn't sting me or anything like that but they were really getting really wound up and i just used to go and sit there and they completely mellowed out after a while they just sort of i was just i couldn't just flew around me and weren't bothered at all so um and obviously wasn't going to do anything to them so i'm not stupid so uh, <laughs> well, but, uh, yeah so they had uh, hap- they had to have been honeybees though no i don't know what type they were they they just uh, i I can't remember. They may have been honeybees, but uh, when I looked it up online, I got a picture of them. They looked a bit different, so I wasn't sure. So, um, But they just plonked themselves in the... And then they disappeared. They're quite short-lived, apparently. They move on or something. So who knows? So, um, And I didn't have an expert bee person around to ask. So, But I was very excited. Oh, yeah. You also talked about, you know, that in terms of um, having grown vegetables and things like that. And um, could you say something a little bit about... Because that's one of the amazing things. I know, again, it's not unique to Detroit, but 
the sheer number of urban farms in Detroit, which I think is thirteen hundred, is the figure I've heard recently. Uh, I don't know how many urban farms there are. No one really has a list because nobody knows where they all are. Uh, <laughs> the city of Detroit does not have a a real farm. I don't want to say initiative, but you know the farm rules. Also, the city back in the nineteen forties and fifties. The city was at the biggest population, almost 2 million people. And there were kids everywhere. So there were these, there's beautiful schools everywhere throughout the city because your school was in your neighborhood, right? Mm. And they built these beautiful, beautiful schools. They're everywhere with on large pieces of land. So now that all these, all these schools are empty, boarded up or torn down, you have giant swaths of land where the schools were, which would be perfect for a farm, perfect for a farm. And they just sit there. So presumably just trees and shrubs even, and whatever grows there. Not even trees. Do they, do they keep it mowed? And the, like that? the city mows maybe twice a season. They hit everything, but mm. it, you know, it's not great looking. You know, they're not mowing so, it with a nice mower and weed whipping everything. No, they're okay. coming with big yeah. giant tractors and just... So that's interesting in terms of ecological diversity, because we know that, for instance, just cutting grass is not very good in terms of biodiversity, because here there's a trend, thankfully, in Britain, where in a lot of roadside verges are no longer cut over the summer. So they actually flower and then they don't cut them till about October. So they allow the flowers to then go through their whole cycle in terms of slowing seed. And then each year it develops. And just on where I live, um, on some of the, just on the road verges, these rare orchids popped up. It was quite remarkable, right near this busy main road. And um, that's a, and that is an example of, well, if you keep cutting things down, nothing's going to thrive there. So. Well, I'll give you a little bit of a different perspective perspective here in Detroit. So the Greening of Detroit um, worked with another nonprofit called Detroit Future City, who has a big book on different ways to transform vacant lots, like different um, plans that you can do, like do a wildflower meadow or do a this or, you know. Mm. And so we did do quite a few transformations of vacant lots where we, on some lots, we just tried to do a whole wild flower meadow or you know, mm. plant some, you know, we, we did different applications. And in every single aspect, they all failed because the neighbors don't want to let stuff grow up like that because there's vermin and other things that go on in fields where you can't see. Okay. So they have a really different perspective mm. on that. Okay. You, yeah. you get where I'm coming from? No, I do, actually. I do. So they prefer it to be nice. Well, not necessarily. They want it mowed because trim. they don't want to yeah. see the trash. They don't want to see what's yeah. hiding in the grass. Okay. So it's a, and did the, did anyone manage to find any sort of um, clever initiatives to getting around that? Or no, doing it so that it worked a lot of our ways? plants were also stolen right out of the ground. Right, really, by by people who wanted to use the plants yeah. for themselves. Yeah. Well, I suppose uh, you know if they're going to steal anything, at least they've stolen plants. 
from somewhere else. <laughs> if I don't know if that's a positive thing. I'm sure it wasn't when you've just planted. So, it. Yeah, yeah, so that that's also the and that's um hard for farmers as well. And that's why I like no till mm. gardening because you don't need a lot of mechanical tools. <laughs> yeah. Could you say I mean could you say not everyone's gonna be familiar with what say it's no till gardening is? Could you just explain oh, what you mean? Oh, by okay, that? so um, if you don't know what no-till gardening is, it's not using a tractor to till over the land to get it ready to plant, right? So a lot of young people who want to get into farming, land is expensive and equipment is expensive. And there's the method no-till where you don't need a tractor. So it, number one, it helps young people to get into farming because they don't have big expenses using big tractors and everything like that. Number two, no-till is so much better for the land. When you're tilling over all that organic matter, you're letting out all this carbon into the air Mm. and you're degrading the soil and all the organisms that are in there. And so you can cover, no-till involves a lot of covering the land, covering your land to kill the perennial weeds And then you're putting compost on top of that. And so in the spring, a farmer, if he's going to go out there until he's going to, he has to wait, number one, for all the snow and the the land to kind of dry out before he can till. And then he's got to till it. And then he's got to let it sit there for a while to let the land settle back in. So it takes all this time. If you're no-tilling, you're uncovering your land and you're putting down your compost and you can plant right into it, right? right away. So you're, I want to say more for your money, but you're, you're able to plant your crops maybe three, mm. week, three weeks earlier than a farmer who's tilling. And you're not degrading your soil by tearing it all up and tearing all those organisms that are in there, making all this wonderful organic mulch. For listeners as well, there's a couple of books. The Third Plate by Dan Barber is really good. And I learned something amazing reading that, that uh, in, I think it was Carolina, that certainly in the 19th century, there were just dozens and dozens of varieties of rice. And then I think it gradually became much more narrowed down to just one or two varieties because they were, you know, good croppers and they did really well. And, uh, but this, in this book here, the whole book is about what Sue's talking about in terms of, well, varieties of heirloom varieties, seeds and vegetables, but also how you treat the land and the soil. And there's a new book. Yeah. And a new book by Dr. Mark Hyman called The Food Fix, which I think is also really good. He interviews Dan Barber in a podcast, but I think that we have them here in the UK. And I guess that in terms of soil quality and and how long the soil's left uh, in in the States, uh, I had Mark Hyman quoted some shocking figures of 40 or 50 years worth of soil um, before it's depleted or blown away or washed away or whatever it is. Yeah. And one of the best examples that um, I guess I can offer to you is Singing Frogs Farm in California. They are growing on just three acres and it's the most beautiful farm I've ever seen in my life. And the revenue that they generate from those three acres is more than what most farmers on 100 acres generate. It's, and it's beautiful. It's just incredible. 
That's remarkable as well. Also, I mean, there is other things that um, we're really shooting off on a tangent here, but other things in terms of the welfare of farm workers using chemicals, but also the the impact. I know that farmers in the States, just having listened to, um, it's not something I know a great deal about, but it sounds like they're under a great deal of pressure uh, with their own mental health problems. Not all of them, obviously, but just the, you know, the constant pressure to produce things, to buy seed from certain companies. Uh, use chemicals, those sorts of things. So in terms of welfare of people who work in those industries, you know, there's a lot to be thinking about. So it sounds like you, this is something that you think about a lot. Yes. You think that, which is important. And you, uh, I think you were saying, I can't remember if you said this before we talked about feeling like that you had some, I think you used the term utopian ideas, but I think that they're really important. And actually, I don't think they're necessarily as utopian as you think. I think they're actually maybe pretty essential as to how they're applied. Well, you don't need, in my utopian society, you know, we've got, especially like in the Midwest in Kansas, where you just see cornfields for miles and miles Mm. and miles, those are monoculture crop. And so how are bees supposed to live there? Any type of bee, Mm. they can't. But if you had small farms, you know, maybe under five acres, where each family has their own homestead, and they're growing a, a plethora of crops on their maybe three acres, and they're able to feed their family and they're able to feed their neighbors and make a living from that. And also to have chickens and maybe a few cows or a pig or two, you know, and if you had that going all around, you know, you're fixing the soil, you're fixing your insect population, you're, you know, making a real community. That's my so basic utopian existence. Can I ask you a little bit now, Sue, just about um, tree cover? We talked about that, but uh, um, in terms of, so if I say came to Detroit, you know, would I find like urban forests, uh, urban trees, or is it just a, like a patchwork of trees here and there or little swathes of trees that go up by the sides of roads? No, there's, and it depends on where you're going. So in neighborhoods mm. that are, neighborhoods that are densely populated with homes still, and there's still a lot of neighborhoods that are like that. There's Mm. a ton of trees and really some really old, old trees. So that, you know, the city's been, the modern city has been around for, you know, since 1900s. So in those populated areas, there's tons of trees. We have a park called Rouge Park, which is larger than Central Park. That's almost all trees. Mm. Um, Belle Isle is uh, half all trees. There's a guy here called Hans who bought a ton of property over on the east side of Detroit, very controversial as well, because he bought the land for very cheap uh, right before the city went into bankruptcy, and he's planted forests. So the trees maybe are maybe 20, 25 feet tall now. They've been in the ground for maybe five years. So over on the east side of town, which is not far from where I live, there's... (laughs) These blocks of trees, it's just kind of weird. But um, <laughs> yeah, you'll have to, we'll have to drive so you So literally, it will be a, block, a residential block. Yeah, of trees. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 actually hard to imagine sometimes. Sue, just thinking a little bit about, are you carrying on going to be doing the work you're doing or you've got other plans as well? Because it sounds like you've got lots of ideas about what you would like to do in terms of, say, uh, your own sort of farm or homestead. Well, actually, um, yeah, we are leaving the city of Detroit or mm-hmm. what we call up north again. Uh, we're moving up to Leland. Is that the upper, upper peninsula? Yeah, is it? we're we're moving up to Leelanau County, 
That is on the 45th parallel, which is the also where uh, the Rhine River Valley is or Napa Valley is. And it's it's the one county. It's also the cherry capital of Michigan. And there's 28 or 29 different vineyards there. They grow all the Michigan apples and cherries. It's just a, a farmer's paradise of fruit trees there. And so we bought 11 acres there maybe six months ago, and we're going to start our own homestead up there. Wow. So homestead for UK listeners, that's, is that like sort of self-sufficiency? Yeah. I sometimes have to interpret, yeah, because so, yeah, but homesteading is... Yeah, so, we, you know, we want to employ the whole no-till um, process into our... We've got about three acres to do with hedgerows and orchards, and we want to do cut flowers. And it's just basically, you know, it's for us to kick around and try different ideas in agriculture and, and have a lot of fun with it. We're Thankfully, we were lucky enough to be able to do this uh, at this point in our lives. Where would you like to see Detroit in um, five or 10 years' time? Obviously, you're going to be up in northern Michigan, but where would you like to see it develop? Because I, I know that, and you touched on this right at the start, and, and all the speakers, everyone I've spoken to has talked about this, that you know, it's like a tale of two cities. There's the, the downtown, all the development, glitzy stuff, and then there's other places within Detroit, and uh, it's a rich, it's, well, rich in terms of diversity-wise. Well, and I've always said this, um, because I have always loved the city of Detroit, and I've always loved the buildings and coming downtown, I feel kind of bummed out because my whole life, basically, the city has been kind of scary. And mm. now here I am, and I'm a little bit older now, and here I am, and the city's really coming back. And I think, you know, I've watched the past seven years. I've seen a lot happen in the past seven years, but I know in 20 years, the city will be completely different, and I'm going to be, like, mm. really old <laughs> in 20 years. And so I'm kind of <laughs> bummed out that I won't be really a part of that as mm. a young, vibrant person being a part of that. So I, I am, that is kind of bums me out a little bit that I'll miss that. But I think in, in five, 10, 15 years, I think the city will be amazing. I think it'll be completely different than it is today. There does seem to be a lot of emphasis on sort of some development of public transport, cycle lanes, taking lanes out from uh, cars, advent of advent uh, electric cars and things. So it may be very radically yeah. different. It could actually be, I often think, just hearing different bits of things. Detroit could be a real template for other places. It could actually. be. Could it potentially but also, it, being the age I am, I've seen cycles in life. And we've been on a real mm. up cycle for the past 12 years. Who knows? I mean, you don't know what's in store for you. And maybe a down cycle would happen for 10 years, kind of stalling a lot of stuff. You just don't know. And on that note, if you were, um, if people were coming to Detroit and you were going to take them to different places, where would you go? I'd put you on a bike. Where would you take them? <laughs> I'd put you on a bike. I'm a biker. I'm a biker. So that would be, I'd be happy as well. I would love, and what I do at the garden too, is we have bike days with Sue. And um, as long as you can ride 20 miles, I like to take you out and just go through neighborhoods and point out beautiful houses and just landmarks. There's just so many different landmarks to see. I mean, we could, I've done a rock and roll bike ride because there's so much rock and roll history here. You know, uh, you could do a Motown ride because 
because there's so much Motown history here where, you know, you can just point out houses where Diana Ross lived, where Martha Rees lived, where different people lived and where different people recorded. You know, Motown is the house. Motown is still here. So we can do all sorts of stuff like that. Or, you know, just looking at different uh, amazing buildings or go on an urban uh, farm ride. So there's just so many different things in so many different interests that that's what I would like to do is put you on a bike and wherever your interest lies, I can find a ride. Ah, it sounds great. Sounds good. As long as you, if you can guarantee the weather, that's you know, even better. You know, if June or July or August, you're pretty much going to hit some pretty good weather. Just the final thing. You've obviously made you made one big change in terms of coming out of the car industry, and then you're making another change soon. I guess, what would you say to... I've spoken to a couple of people who've got who've had you know passion projects you might call them in terms of um, what they might do and I, I and I'm one of those. I would, if you'd have asked me a year ago, would I be doing a podcast? One, no. Would I be doing it about a city in America? No. Would I be doing it about Detroit? Uh, no. And here I am. Yeah. What would your advice be to people if they've got a little notion, a little idea, something that they would like to do, but like me, well, I thought it was just this is just a nuts idea to do this. I still think I still do regularly. So, but what would your tip speed to how to make that transition number one go for it uh after i quit my job and and saw what i was missing in i couldn't believe i stayed in that job for 20 years granted it offered Mm. me a good living so i mean you know you have kids and a family and stuff like that and you do have to live so you know it kind of balances that but i say go for it it was the best thing i ever did it really was. And probably because I didn't like the automotive industry. I didn't like the products. I don't really like cars very much, uh, but I, you know, I did it for the money and um, doing what I do now is what I've always loved doing. I've always loved gardening. I've always loved the outdoors. I've always loved being outside. I, I love what I do. <laughs> I, I, couldn't say enough about going for it. If you can afford to do it, go for it or figure out how to do it. Yeah. Yeah. And look, what, for what the listeners, um, Sue and I can see each other on video. So what you can't see is Sue's face just lighting up. It's radiant, <laughs> um, just talking about what she loves doing. And it's quite wonderful. You can tell. I can see the difference. When she's talking about the car industry, uh, yeah, there's not a lot of excitement there, I have to say. When she's talking about being outside, urban gardens, bees, etc., there is a glow coming off her and a well, and you're, passion, which you're, is wonderful you're with see. like-minded people too, which is like I when I moved to Detroit too, I, I was like, oh my God, I found my tribe. I, I've made so many friends here in the city of Detroit where I did not have those types of friends in the suburbs. It was because we didn't have anything in common. I just didn't have anything in common with with the people that live there. And I have so much in common with the people that live here in the city, whether it be through cycling or music or art or gardening, or just being, you know, part of a community that cares for one another. That's, that's what really makes a difference for me. So I think moving up North might be a little bit of a culture shock. 
Yeah, but but it sounds like in terms of the Detroit bit, you not only did you then move from a job that you didn't pay well, but you didn't particularly like to something that you were really interested in, but there were the sort of almost the side effects of, oh, well, do you know what? I'm getting to mix with people who are also really interested in this. Uh, they're really passionate about it. I'm making friendships in a different way, making social connections, which again, we know are really important for us. So it sounds like it had lots of spin-offs that you might not have imagined when you were signed up had to no your uh, Master of Gardener no course, idea. which is yeah. great. And it is so nice. So Sue, I just want to say thank you so, so much for this. Um, It's given given me a really different, and hopefully the the listeners, a really different perspective on on Detroit as well. And some of the also the tensions and challenges that go with any big um, city. And uh, it's been a real pleasure talking to you. It's been a joy. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much for listening to that uh, show. Guess what? That is number seven of the series already. Um, I was aiming for 10. I've got nine lined up. I've got a few invites on the way, but it's that time of year when people are busy and holidays and, well, or staycations maybe this year. And so uh, we might only get nine in this season, but that's okay. So it's not like I'm forced by anything to do uh, a certain number. But uh, I just want to say thank you so much again to the people who give me lovely feedback. This week, I'd like to mention uh, Jen in Ohio. Thank you. I hope you uh, did get a chance to listen to it amongst all the things you were doing. And also to Sylvia, in Holland, who actually chased me up and pointed out that there was a, a link that was missing in one of the podcasts, so couldn't play it. So thank you, Sylvia, for letting me know about that. That's I much, much appreciated. Um, also, the keen-eyed amongst you... If uh, I'd be impressed if anyone spotted this. Normally, I try and get this each show out on a Friday by noon um, UK time. And this week... I didn't manage it. In fact, I'm recording this at about half past five UK time, uh, this little outro. And partly because I've been so busy with um, like the kids. So uh, youngest son had a, an orthodontist appointment at the local, at, well, not a local hospital. It's 22 miles away. So uh, that was a good chunk of yesterday when I should have been doing some uh, editing and recording. Picking up the eldest from university today and then transporting my daughter to a friend which is a little bit of a drive away so all in all um i got a bit behind so thankfully i'm not uh, you know it's not like bursting for the deadline but uh, such is the life of an amateur podcaster i guess so thank you very much for um having listened you know if you've got someone you know who would uh, be interested in this show do pass it on to them and uh, check out the website i'd be much appreciated and um, i'm pondering who should be next so thanks so much again for listening have a lovely lovely week and uh, stay safe and keep well thanks very much then bye